that's such a difference from what most of us do, no mm-hmm. pun intended. We we don't tend to do things. We look at things. We think about things. But it's actually taking the action and getting something done that makes the difference. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's always interesting to talk to farmers or gardeners because they are actively doing something in the analog and in the real world. Welcome to the Small Scale Life Podcast. Happy Spring Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's the Small Scale Life Podcast. I'm your host, Tom. Welcome to the show. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're enjoying this warm weather. We had 65 degrees yesterday. It was glorious. That seven-foot-high snowbank that I kept taking pictures of and talking about all winter, it's completely gone. And we are gearing up for some outside projects. More on that later. We can't wait. So in today's podcast, I had a chance to talk with Terrence Lehu from the Intellectual Agrarian Blog and Podcast. As content creators, there are times when we are on a crazy race to put up next piece of content for our friends, followers, and fans. We are in this mad dash to keep the content coming and the fans liking our photos, blog posts, podcasts, videos, tweets, and pins. Lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. At times, we're doing things just to show activity, and we can be completely missing out on what is happening around us. Terrence and I had a chance to sit down and talk about that very subject. Terrence called it Living in the Analog, show title, right? And this whole discussion left me with a lot to think about. In fact, based on this conversation, I reevaluated some of the things I was posting on Instagram and actually scaled back on some of the content there. I discontinued the black and white photo challenge as I thought long and hard about the purpose of this effort and once again started thinking about the why behind it. Thanks, Greg Burns, for putting that in the back of my brain. Always thinking about the why. So as you'll hear in this podcast, Terrence is a fellow people collector and he's used his networking, communicating, and writing skills to become an organic inspector podcaster, writer, and intellectual agrarian. We'll talk about where that that title came from. What is an intellectual agrarian? Terrence and I had a great discussion about his journey from inquisitive teenager to organic inspector, living in the analog, some trends happening in the organic farming world, and his intellectual agrarian podcast. Before we get into our topic of the day, I know we have a lot of new listeners to the Small Scale Life podcast. My wife, Julie, and I are building a small urban homestead here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are also dedicated to helping you build a life you love by focusing on four core principles, which we call our pillars. That include simple living, financial freedom, gardening, and meal planning and food prepping. We know there's a ton of podcasts, blogs, and media out there, so we are so glad you're spending time with us. Thank you so much. So if you want to support the show, here's how you can do that. Probably the best way you can support our work is going to the resources page on smallscalelife.com. On that resources page, we have affiliate links to places like Amazon, kit.com slash smallscalelife. It's kind of our online store directly tied to Amazon. The Cozy Scheduling app, Simply Canning, and Bluehost. So if you're looking for gifts or doing some shopping, check out the resources page on smallscalelife.com and use our links for your shopping. There's no additional charge to you for using our links. And we get a little credit for you using our link. Thank you again for supporting Small Scale Life. 
So feel free to grab your favorite mug filled with coffee or tea and tune in to Living in the Analog with my friend Terrence Lehu. As always, for links to the Intellectual Agrarian, head over to smallscalelife.com and find everything you're looking for and the notes for this podcast. Thanks for coming on. I really do appreciate it. And uh, it's it's great to talk to you again. So um, yeah, thanks for inviting me. It's great to get a chance to chat with you again. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a long time since we had lunch together in, in Eau Claire area. It's nice to chat. So so again, welcome to the Small Scale Life podcast. You know, Terrence, tell us a little bit about yourself. That's such an open question, too. I am. Yes. Yeah, such an open question. Well, that's the thing. For some people, I think it's really easy that, oh, this is who I am and what I do. But when, and I'm sure you sympathize, oh, yeah. when you do a lot, it, that that's quite, who are you is a, a little bit of a broader question. But I would sum it up that I am an organic inspector, podcaster, writer, and et cetera. -er. Et cetera. -er. I like that. <laughs> that's great, man. It, it, it helps leave it open-ended in case I decide to add something else to my repertoire. Yeah, exactly. And we met... Through our mutual friend, Scott Hebert, he was like, oh, you got to talk to Terrence. And then you reached out to me. And it's just it's such a small world. And I'm so glad that Scott recommended you to me and me to you. And and uh, it's nice that we're in the same sphere. I mean, the same you're over in Wisconsin. I'm in Minnesota. You come over this way. I go over there. So um, it is such a small world. And it's great that uh, it's great. We connected through a mutual friend. Now, I think what's really neat it, and people that don't necessarily do podcasts won't appreciate this but we're in the same time zone yeah people this that that makes a difference you're like oh Hugh, it, this is a normal time i don't have to think in plus or minus <laughs> oh my gosh yeah totally when we talk to our friends in ohio they're an hour ahead uh scott he's a few hours behind um, it's just wow and he has no snow up there so we can hate on him a little bit for that Oh, dear goodness. Every time he posts on Instagram, I just either want to cry or curse. Oh, I know. And he loves to shoot a little video at me. He's like, reason 755, why Canada is better than Minnesota. <laughs> oh, God, but he's so much fun. So, okay, so you are an organic inspector, very into the farm scene. Very, I'm very curious about that. So, let, so obviously you got into gardening and farming somehow. Tell us about your first gardening or farming experience. The first gardening experience I actually remember is actually one of my first memories. When, when I was a little kid, my mom decided to start carrot seeds in an egg carton with that, like the little potting soil mix. Sure, sure. And I just remember being so excited because I hate vegetables as a general rule of thumb. I eat them because I have to. Not <laughs> I want to. Uh, and carrots are one of the few vegetables I actually enjoy. So I was like, yes, we're growing carrots, more carrots. And after that, I really didn't do much gardening uh, or farming. But then when I was 13, my father became was hired as the manager of an organic beef farm. It wasn't organic at the time. But when I was 16, I actually helped get the farm certified organic. And that's kind of what dragged me into this particular realm and industry. Whereas I, if you had told me, Back when I was 13, I probably would have laughed if you said I'd be involved in farming. That's pretty cool. I mean, I, you know, for me, it was when I was a kid, too. And, and I think I planted some carrots out in my parents' big, you know, they tilled up some space in their backyard and, and uh, eventually became all wheat choked. And I was out there weeding as punishment. But, yeah, <laughs> my, my first experiences weren't all that awesome. But 
it is funny how you come back around and you find out that there is some there's some beauty in it, right? There's simplicity in it. It's and it's really fun. I mean, it, it, uh, growing animal, uh, growing plants, raising animals. It's there's there's something pretty cool about it. I think it's the ability to see something go from small to big. As as weird as it sounds, it's kind of the same thing as watching children grow. Yeah. In some ways, seeing uh, you're seeing life, mm. the process of life moving from its inception or conception to its growth. It's its fullness, its its peak. And I think that's what's really cool, at least in my background, being able to see both livestock and plants, is that you see really a fuller circle because it wasn't just that we had plants growing on the farm. We also had the cattle then eating the plants that then grew into being big cows that eventually became delicious steaks. Yeah, the whole circle of life. Oh, I had something I was going to ask you there, but I totally dropped it. <laughs> okay, no, I do the same thing. No, no, I think I think that's great, and um, and it is it is amazing that we find ourselves in these where we were as children, and suddenly we're we're doing that in real life. I mean, for me, it was trains. For you, it's in the organic farming world, and um, obviously that experience and and working on that farm, you know, that influences exactly what you're doing today. Well, and that's the thing. We don't look necessarily at I, – I can't begin to tell you how many times I sit back and go, oh, God, how did you know this before I did? Because all of the different relationships that I built over the years in farming when I was just a an idiot 13 to 16-year-old, just through going to conferences, talking to people, even I had a very – I did half a decade in farmer's markets – and all of those different relationships I've built, all the different talents that I learned through those processes have taken me to the point where I'm doing my podcasting, I'm doing my organic inspecting. I would not be doing any of that if I hadn't had those experiences earlier. I probably wouldn't even be writing if I hadn't met some of the people that I met during those processes. Yeah, and, and going to those farmer's markets, I mean, you meet all kinds of folks there, <laughs> every walk of life and... And I think it's really cool what you're doing on the podcast. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but I think it's really cool interviewing all these different folks who are doing it, doing this stuff, living this life. And, uh, I mean, you've, you've, you've interviewed a lot of folks, a lot of different folks from a lot of different backgrounds, that's for sure. I try. I try. That's, that's, that's what we're shooting for is a little bit more diversity. But we'll talk about that later. Right, right. And I will say this, too. Uh, I, that thought I had before. It's amazing to me how much farmers know. And always the stereotype, oh, they're just a hayseed farmer out there. What do they know? But man, it is, it's animal husbandry and plants and seasons and, and, and pests and, and machinery. And oh my gosh, I mean, it's so storage, long-term storage of product. It's, it's amazing. Markets. And I just, it blows me away how smart how much you have to know as a farmer, that's for sure. Well, that's the moment that actually flipped the switch for me, that I went from really resenting being dragged into agriculture to actually caring about it. I was at an Acres USA conference, and Joel Salton was speaking. Mm -hmm. And he said the words, this may be the narrative fallacy where I just take these circumstances and warp them into the story that sounds the best, but... I remember him saying the words, the Jeffersonian agrarian intellectual. And that planted a seed that made me think, huh, 
there are smarter farmers. They, this isn't just a, a thing where you get people who couldn't make it in other businesses or other industries that had to. This isn't people that – these are not people who had to farm. They chose to farm, mm-hmm. and they chose to bring their talents with them to farm. Like Joel Salton, who has obviously an amazing mind, an amazing wealth of knowledge and information he's built up, and a skill for writing and articulation – that he then takes and applies to his work as a farmer and an agrarian. Yeah, that's that's totally true. And it, it, you look at even the founders of the country. I mean, so many of them were farmers. I mean, just brilliant people. You look at Thomas Jefferson and what he did, his experiments and all the diaries he wrote and everything he was doing on his, on his uh, farm. And it's amazing what what he was able to accomplish. And we tend to think, oh, we've come up as podcasters and bloggers. I've got this new method for doing X, Y, and Z. In the in the gardening and farming world, a lot of this stuff has been around for a long time. We're just writing about it, you know, in our own space. But this stuff has been out there. And, and it's amazing to me what's been accomplished, what's been done, and where we're going in the future. I think that's, it's, that's a really good point. There's nothing new under the sun. And one of the things I think is remarkable, I for a very brief time, I was trying to do a little series called Plowing Through History, where we basically examined what farmers were doing through important parts of history. It was interesting for me as a researcher, not so interesting for people watching the videos. Uh, anyway, but what was really cool is seeing how different people throughout the ages have looked at agriculture, have looked at farming. And the fact is, the issues that everyone talks about with farming, erosion, depleting the soil, these issues that we're still facing today are the same issues that they've been dealing with since ancient Rome. The problems don't always change. Even some of the solutions, like different crop rotations, mm-hmm. the solutions don't change either. Just how we apply the solutions and how we choose to look at the solutions change. The context changes, but the people themselves really don't. And that, that's what I find fascinating about agriculture's profession. It is, sorry to anyone who stands on a street corner, but it is agriculture really is one of the oldest professions because everyone eats. Yeah, that's true. I, that's that's a great point. I got into trains because of my love of history, and I really appreciate that. That's the way societies and civilization were built, where people actually stopped being nomads and planted, right? They planted themselves as they found a crop and, and started to nurture that, and, and everything else kind of built on top of that. And and you're absolutely correct. The people, people are people. We do the same kind of stuff, and, and it's amazing that uh, that those problems that we've had all through the centuries, we continue to repeat the same mistakes and the same errors and the technology changes, but the people are the people, right? Yes. One person that I really enjoy, Gabe Brown from North Dakota. Have you bumped into Gabe at all? You know what? It's funny you say that. I met him at an Acres conference just this last December. I got a signed copy of his book. Oh, that's awesome. I met him, um, him and one of our followers, uh, Scott Haas, here in Minnesota, and what a nice guy! I mean, just full Very of nice. knowledge. Holy smokes, he'll blow you! He'll blow you away with how you can rebuild soil using all of these techniques, and and it's really amazing stuff. There's a guy that's doing some stuff. <laughs> that's my <Yeah>. point. <laughs> well, that's one of the things I think was really cool about what Scott Hebert has kind of changed with his uh, YouTube channel. Is it's Scott Hebert doing stuff? Yes. And that's one of the fun things about talking to Scott is that he's always doing something different. Yep. But I have to say, really, that's such a difference from what most of us do, no pun mm-hmm. intended. 
we we don't tend to do things. We look at things. We think about things. But it's actually taking the action and getting something done that makes the difference. And mm-hmm. that's where it's always interesting to talk to farmers or gardeners because they are actively doing something in the analog and in the real world. Very true. Very true. Yeah, and that kind of that gets me thinking about that post you had recently on Medium and the podcast you had. I, that really was a great a great one, and that was um, you know all about you know getting stuff done and not wasting your time with all this uh, this extra noise, <laughs> but getting getting into it, you know. Yeah, thanks. It, it was an article that I had been working on for a while. And I think that's the hardest part in terms of writing is that you really want to click that publish button. And I'm sure it's, I mean, it's the same thing with the podcast episode when you've got the raw material and you really want to just get it out there. But it's a little bit more of the craft of then taking it and editing it and making sure that it sounds good and doing your due diligence before putting it out there. With the writing, I had had this idea for a little while, but really I, I had to challenge myself on it first because how often was I spending time on social media? Yeah. What was I doing that was not work? I can't tell you how many times this weekend I started working on something that wasn't moving the needle. And I had a little like Scott Hebert voice in the back of my head saying, default on the right action, default <laughs> on the right action. <laughs> no, I know. I get caught in that trap a lot because I, as I travel around, I love to take pictures of barns and streams and scenery and train stuff. You know, I've got all these pictures. In fact, I was up working on a little video trying to show all these pictures. And as I got it done and hit publish, I'm like, huh, I wonder, did I just move the needle a little bit or was I just filling up time just to use the stuff that I had? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and recently, uh, I haven't read the book yet, but there's this great book that came out called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport, which most people should remember him from Deep Work and what was the other book? It was like work, be the best so that no one could ignore you or something along those lines. But his new book, I listened to an interview he did on the Art Manlius podcast, and he talked about That's how podcast, once yeah. you – oh, fantastic podcast. It's literally I think the first podcast I started listening to back when podcasts really weren't a thing. But he was talking about how once you remove a lot of the digital activity, you find you have a lot of free time, a lot of empty space. And so, of course, Brett's like, well, what do you do with this space? Well, you create an analog presence. Hmm. So many of us, we don't have necessarily physical hobbies anymore or real hobbies in the real world. We, I would argue that most hobbies for people these days are digital. It, even as a writer, I spend most of my time typing on a computer instead of writing on actual paper. It's just it's an interesting way of looking at things where most of us don't actually build things anymore that are physical that are real and again this is where i love agriculture is that it's almost entirely analog it's really a matter of the most basic of things where you're planting and growing and it's a physical real thing that's tangible in a world that is mostly ethereal oh yeah that's an excellent point and it's amazing um curtis stone talks about this where you're, you're, he's torn up a whole yard and he's planting stuff and suddenly people will walk by and they're like, they want to strike up a conversation because it's that social capital, right? I mean, what are you doing? And oh my gosh, you can do that here. I never knew you could grow stuff in your yard. I mean, that the light bulbs go off 
and you're right. It's just a lot of a lot of our culture. Everything is on the smartphone or on the internet or on the computer. It's just it's not something you can touch, feel, smell. You know, it's it's it is. It's all in the in the digital space. That's a really good point. Well, and and here's something I just find interesting. I, I'm sorry if we're going down a tangent. No, uh, that's but this is fine. This is most how it goes. <laughs> Most people talk about trying to build an online presence and you get all these people that are want to be influencers online. Yep. Great. That's what they want to do. But the people that actually like have this real influence, the the Gary V's, the the guys that have that we look to, the Tim Ferris's, they didn't just build an online presence. They actually did real things in the real world and then put themselves out there with what they did as the cornerstone of who they are. Mm. Instead, we have people that want to build the cart before the horse and they try building this online platform of who they are and what they can do when they haven't gotten anything done. They haven't done the things worth note or merit. They just want to have the appearance of things of worth. And we had a little bit of that kind of discussion with uh, Greg Burns on my podcast and I think a little bit more on yours Mm -hmm. too where we want the surface appearance of success without actually working for it. And that was kind of the underlying principle of the article on Medium. Right. Exactly correct. Yep. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that's the, those are very good points. And, and you can see it all over the place. Um, you know, if you're a YouTube star or an Instagram star and, oh, follow me, I've sold a million, six figures or seven figures or even eight figures nowadays. I mean, it's, it's, it, you, just, you just go, wow, okay. <laughs> oh man and and you can you can do a lot and not have a lot of followers too you know and that's totally cool you know you you're doing it for yourself and and your family and it's um you know you, you get a great sense of satisfaction when you do it so when you put yourself out there and you you're building something so there's a great book. Again, I don't want to take up too much time talking about this tangent, but there's a great book called An Audience of One. By, I, uh, I'd like to say his name is Frinis Rao. Fantastic book, but basically the idea was everyone's trying to do things to get noticed, to get published, to get recognition. What about doing something just for the sake of itself, just for the sake of I've done this? Mm. And I mean, really some of the best hobbies come out of that. Like when I started the podcast, it was not to get this large following or this level of interest. I wanted to have discussions with interesting people. And this was a great vehicle to be able to do that and serve a sector that I knew there wasn't a lot of attention to. Hmm. No, that's an excellent point. And as a content creator myself, we do get into the get on that treadmill where I've got to get another post. I've got to come up with something and just throw it up against the wall. And then, no, wow, I got to get another something together. I mean, it's an ongoing cycle and an ongoing, it's almost like a hamster wheel or treadmill, you know, where you're just constantly plodding along and never stop to ask, is it very good? I don't know. Uh huh. So let's shift gears a little bit. That was, that's a really interesting topic though. I, I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, Let's talk a little bit about organic farming. I, I find this fascinating. I mean, I've never met an organic inspector before. And um, 
you know, we talked a little bit about your background getting into that. So what was your big break? I mean, at one point you said, okay, this is what I want to do. Is that when you were, when you got the farm certified that your dad was working on? Uh, Yeah, kind of. So I, I mean, I was just a punk kid. I, I always joke that the way to prove whether or not something works is whether or not you can hand it over to a 16 year old that doesn't care and see if they destroy it. That, that's, <laughs> that's the way to determine whether or not you put proper procedures in place. But that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been that 16 year old. I, I know that I know what the attitude is. Yep. And so it's really easy to gauge. And I think most of us have been that 16 year old or 13 year old. Uh, but I was at the Acres Conference, I think it was, and I had some questions on filling out the OSP, the Organic System Plan, basically the thing that states how you plan on being organic. And again, I was new to this, so I I read the regulations and I still had some questions, so I went up to the booth of the certifier that we were getting certified with and asked him, okay, how do I do this? And I had my questions already written out. I talked to him, great guy, and... As we're talking and going over this stuff, he looks at me. He's like, "You know, you know this better than a lot of inspectors, farmers, and people I work with." So, have you ever thought about being an organic inspector? Hmm. Now, again, at the time, I was like 16, 17. Career wasn't always the first thing on my mind, although no. I'd probably say I was more ambitious than most at that age. And I'm like, "Oh, oh well, no, oh, I, I haven't thought about that, but." You know, I'm going to be an accountant or something like that. So why bother with this whole farming thing? And then as time went on and I became more interested in agriculture and my interest and skill level grew, I really kind of thought about what he said. And I stayed in touch. Again, part of what made me do what I do is that I was able to keep a good network. Mm -hmm. I kept in touch with people and I kept in touch with him and other inspectors that I met over the years. And I learned what it took to be an inspector. I'm like, oh, I, I can do that. So I then took the required training, uh, which requires having had farming experience because of my farm background. I was able to do that pretty easily. And that was kind of the moment where I said, you know, it's a trade to a certain degree, but it also requires some of the things that I know I'm good at, like writing. Mm-hmm. That was the thing he encouraged me as. He's like, T, I know a lot of inspectors and some of them are good at looking at things, the observational part, but they can't write worth a darn. Mm. And you can write this. At this time, I had been doing my blog farming the dream back in the day he's like I, i've seen your work you can write so give it a try hmm. and i gave it a try i found that i really liked it i'm good with communicating with farmers because i can sympathize with them i i know what it's like to be on the other side of the table sure so that's how i kind of fell into it again it's the things that i think that are the most important and most interesting parts of our lives that we don't tend to plan they tend to happen While I believe in having agency, obviously, I think that it's more of one of those things where everything came together at the right time and the right place. Absolutely. And and it is, um, it's a thing that I talk to my sons about is the networking aspect of it. And and we're back to building community again, right? I mean, we're we're essentially, you know, there's a part of it where your hobby is collecting people, you know, and and not not putting up on the shelf and let them get dusty, but you're connecting all of these people and eventually and not, and not for a malicious purpose but hey i john over here is out of work and he can do x y and z i know that fred over here needs some help and maybe i can connect them or or you know and then eventually that 
karma has a way of coming around or maybe the fates or maybe God comes around and maybe we're all plugged in and helping each other. I think that's a, that's, it's so important to build that network. And I keep stressing that to my boys and, and um, you know, what we're trying to do here too. I think that's so important. Well, what I think is funny is I learned the idea of networking at early age, Mm -hmm. which is definitely better than, I mean, I was probably in my teens when I kind of came across the idea. Again, it's those things that you didn't realize were so important, but you did anyway. Yep. I mean, I got in touch with people that are now, it's the whole idea. I think Brian Hall has talked about investing in people before they're important. Yep. Yep. And that's why you just treat everyone well. Mm -hmm. I got to know people through the conferences that now are in positions of influence in these different farming organizations. And it's just because I took the time to keep in touch and say hi and see how they were doing at a young age. And again, I had a bit of an advantage because I think that every older person likes when they see a smarter, intelligent, asking questions, younger person. Yep. An advantage that I'm slowly losing as I get older. (laughs) That's one of those hard things as you get older, you realize, oh, wait, people are now asking me questions. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But it was, I remember reading the Hardy Boys at the the mystery books oh, yeah. as a kid. Yep. And I always remember how the dad, Fenton Hardy, was a detective and he had a a Rolodex of people that he knew mm-hmm. that he would keep in touch with. And if he had a specific issue in that area, he would call them up and get their advice. Yes. That idea always stuck with me. Hmm. And that's kind of how I started networking with people and keeping in contact with people. Really? So see, reading the Hardy Boys is good for kids. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. I was just thinking, man, I'll... I never remembered the Rolodex, but man, I remembered Chet's jalopy, you know, and he was always <laughs> hungry. <laughs> Good-natured Chet and his jalopy would roll up, oh, with a loud bang. <laughs> and they always had such cool stuff, too. Oh, man. Anyway, <laughs> so you're an organic inspector. What do you do? I mean, you show up in a farm and you have your clipboard and start walking the property, or how does, how does it all work? What do you do? That's kind of the way it really does work. Uh the organic inspector is a part of the verification process. So that's not, there are farms that can still be organically mm-hmm. managed, but not be certified organic. The certification process requires verification. It means that someone has physically seen the operation and looked around, done an audit, and interviewed the farmer, basically. My job as an inspector is it's an annual inspection. I show up at the farm, I have a report that I have to write, I look for specific areas for verification that are within the scope of the organic standards. That's the National Organic Program's rules and regulations, basically, for what makes a farm organic. And I have to review and make sure that they are abiding by these standards. The key thing is I don't get to make judgments. That's not my job. My job is to... Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. I observe and report. I look, I talk, I ask questions... And I write down the responses. I write down the what I see. Hmm. I don't make judgments. I then hand the file off to someone that does. Sure. Which is really great because it gives you the opportunity. As an inspector, I have the opportunity to visit these farms without having any, oh, great, I have to now render a decision. Sure. Which I do with the gap audits, but that and it's fine. That one, there's a little bit different. It's more food safety. It's kind of important that a decision is reached kind of quicker, but it's a great experience. I enjoy it. And it really, the main thing is viewing the farm, writing the report and keeping the farmer calm, cool, and collected. Again, 
I think it's interesting how some of the things we learned earlier helps mm-hmm. because I studied because of my farmer's market background. I know how kind of people's cues and stressors. I can look at a person and get an idea of how their nervous system is working. Basically, are they feeling nervous? Are they uh, discomforted by something I said or the way they're behaving? And so depending on the farm, generally speaking, nine times out of 10, actually, I'd probably say it's uh, 99 out of 100. The farmer is not doing anything they shouldn't. There are times in some people that do cheat. We're going to have cheaters in any business in sure. any industry. Ask the IRS. Oh, yeah. But yeah. what I get to do is part of what I enjoy doing as an inspector is as I'm talking to the farmer, and if I see they're getting a little nervous, is try to inject a little humor into our conversation, just put them more at ease, ask them a question that they feel confident in the answer, give them an opportunity to brag about what they've done or how successful they've been. It's just it's really enjoyable because I get the opportunity to not only help improve the food system but also help our farmers. Yeah, I think that's great. And as a inspector in my job, it's a little different because I'm usually not, you know, when I go look at a railroad crossing, I'm not usually talking to people on site. Although I have talked to different railroaders and such, and I see that that same interaction where I've never seen a railroader move as fast as when I roll up in my vehicle. <laughs> and, and they say, oh, man, the man is here, and they fly <laughs> They get away as fast as they can on a farm. You're coming to them, so there's nowhere to hide. But, you know, not that this is a malicious thing. But, uh, yeah, it's, it is kind of an interesting dynamic, that's for sure. You can see, you know, that reaction. And some people, they're doing the right things. And some people, they move pretty fast away from you. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so I had another question here. Um, and this this one was actually from Michael Bell, uh, believe it or not. He was – he's – a small farmer, Dallas, Texas area, uh, with his half acre farm. And he's curious about the small scale farming. What's the future? What do you, what are you seeing that? I mean, so many people have jumped into it. So many people are doing this. What do you, what do you think from your position or from your, from where you stand, uh, in the industry? I think that it's going to increase. And I say that more from a view of when I go to organic farming conferences, I see more younger people yep. than older necessarily, mm-hmm. which is great. It's awesome. Yeah. On the flip side, though, I am aware that most of those people won't be farming after a year, year and a half. Sure. Because the simple fact is that most it, it's not an easy job. Mm-hmm. It, it really isn't, especially if you're trying to make your livelihood out of it. Right. And consequently, I think that we're going to always see a continuous stream. And I think that statistics are actually showing that more people are getting involved in agriculture and farming now than since uh, the early days, since like pre since like the Industrial Revolution. Sure. I think I heard getting more people involved in agriculture, which is fantastic and wonderful. However, the thing I see that's slightly dangerous, I, I, I wouldn't use dangerous as the word. I think that is interesting and perhaps something to keep in mind is what I find slightly worrisome is we get a lot of people that – and if this is you listening, I, I apologize for perhaps questioning your motives or interests. But I see a lot of people who take some kind of environmental course in college uh-huh. and then they decide they want to be involved in agriculture in some way. But they don't actually want to farm. They want to they want to be in uh, some kind of bureaucratic position hmm. at helps the environment and well yes 
you can farm and help the environment, I would argue that a lot of the people that come out of an environmental class and then decide they have an idea on how to help agriculture, it doesn't always work. It doesn't always transition well. I think, again, that the best thing you can do, and I mean, look at me. I'm not a, a farmer. I am a person who is an agrarian. I'm from the field, and I work in an agriculture adjacent field. Mm-hmm. It can work. It can be fine. We really do need. That was it, wild. Just, <laughs> yeah, for some reason, all of a sudden, I'm like, the box still has power, and it just switched to built in mic. No. <laughs> This is why post production exists. That's anyway. right. This is this is the beauty of podcasting. I say this all the time to Julie or anybody else. It's it's a conversation. If we have to stop, if there's something that happens, you know, we can do that. That's all right. It's not live radio. Thank goodness. I know. Another check mark against the whole live stream. All <laughs> I am not. What's the word? Uh, I, I'm I'm just not well spoken enough yet to do live streams. Oh, you're I doing like great though. You're doing really process. good. It is a mind shift change, though. That's for sure. <laughs> oh man. Um, anyway, just finishing. Yeah. Yep. We can move to that next thought. I, if I ended that. No, I, I think I think that's a good point. And um, you know, it is hard work, and you've got to get it to grow, and you've got to get it to market. Whatever, whether that's a farmer's market and get enough sales to to survive, or or you have that shift like Scott or Michael, where they've shifted now from small boxes or restaurants to grocery stores and health food stores and that kind of thing. It's um, finding that revenue stream to keep you going and a lot of, and, and it might just be a side hustle for people because it is hard, especially, you know, property is getting so expensive and, uh, you know, you might find yourself on an urban lot and you just can't have this massive operation and, uh, you can't till up your neighbor's yard either because they actually want to have a yard. <laughs> Curtis Stone is done doing some amazing things, but, uh, you gotta, you gotta work for that too. It's a lot of hard work. It is. And I think that really how Scott and Mike, are doing this is the right way of going about it. They didn't just decide all or nothing. I'm going to start farming this acreage. They built it as a a thing they could do in the background along with actually working to feed themselves. And in Scott's case, he's now full time on it. And that didn't just happen. Joel Salton says, before you quit and go full time on the farm, have at least a year's worth of income saved. Yes, and after and living good through, advice. Oh, yeah, that's great advice, especially after uh, after going through thirty five days of shutdown. I can totally agree with him on that, and that's what we are working for is to make sure we have that safety net in place. Uh, John Acuff has also said this in several of his books, from Quitter to Start, and uh, you know, you don't just hop out and and jump jump you got to have you know your ducks in a row so it's not a good strategy to just jump and quit everything mm-hmm. question for you here too um my niece in central wisconsin she's she was working on a, a school project where she was kind of developing some arguments and some information about aquaponic farming and um she had an interesting question about aquaponic farms can they be organic do you think or aquaponic farms will be will meet this classification in the future? That's somewhat of a controversial question. Uh huh. It is uh, <laughs> because technically speaking, yes, they they all are allowed under the organic standards the way they are currently interpreted. Okay. And I say currently interpreted because originally, 
it really wasn't something a lot of people questioned. The idea was in organics, it starts with the soil. And so this yep. came up to the National Organic Standards Board, which is a group of farmers, uh, academics, and industry leaders who kind of give their opinions to the National Organic Program. And also they they regulate what inputs are allowed and not allowed. Well, they kind of first said, listen, it doesn't start at the soil, so it's not allowed. Hmm. That was the recommendation they gave to the National Organic Program. National Organic Program didn't really register it and still just allowed hydroponics and aquaponics to be certified. This question came up again because of uh, an increase in organic hydroponics. Hmm. And now the National Organic Board, on a very close vote, agreed that aquaponics and hydroponics could be certified. Hmm. It's one of those things where in non-organic agriculture, I'm kind of, I have a personal bias against it in organics because it doesn't involve the soil. Yep. I think that really if we're looking at the way the organic standards are, it needs to start with the soil just based on the documents that started it and wrote it, legally speaking. It starts with the soil. In fact, there's been a recent movement with Dave Chapman, uh, a farmer out towards Vermont, that for the real organic project, which is basically an add-on where if you're a farmer that grows in the soil, you can now apply and get this extra thing to put on there. Because a lot of grocery store food that is certified organic, particularly tomatoes, is often grown hydroponically. So there will be a difference quite potentially if you get an organic tomato from a grocery store versus the farmer's market, you'll notice a flavor difference. Mm-hmm. I think that really soil matters. That That's the whole idea. We grow in soil. Yep. When you grow hydroponically or aquaponically, what you're doing is you're reducing it to a scientific system of inputs. Yep. You need X amount of nitrogen, X amount of this and that. Yep. I think that's inventive. It's a really interesting way to be able to grow food in areas where you don't have access to land or soil and it is allowed to be organic currently sure uh although depending on what agency you choose to be certified with they may have different opinions on how you can and cannot do that but personally speaking i tend to think that it doesn't fit the idea of organics as an ideology Mm -hmm. more or less than in principle or practice yeah, that's that's an interesting thing, and and you know I always when I go to schools because I do talk about gardening stuff at in classrooms and it's kind of fun. I start with the big awesome. three. Yeah, yeah. So always around Earth Day and Arbor Day, I go into a couple classrooms and and do some you know let them plant beans and they and the kids just love it you know and and I always talk about the three you know the sun the water and the soil and it and it really does in my mind. You know, and I know there's so many different techniques, but it does come back to the soil. And I, you know, ah, oh, there's it. You have that rich soil, and man, things just grow. And and it doesn't matter the container, but if you have those three elements, especially the soil, man, you can really get some cool things. And that was one of the one of the criticisms. Oh, I don't know if it was a criticism, but one of the things I notice about different techniques is sometimes they treat it as medium. You know, it's just a thing that holds the roots in place, and you 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 add a bunch of fertilizers to it and it'll grow. And I'm like, Hmm, that's, that's weird to me. But, um, I know there's scientific ways to do this and we're trying to feed large amounts of people, but, um, I don't know, just something in my 
bones that say, got to have some good soil, you know? <laughs> it's more for discussion, I'm sure, at, at a high le- layers and levels higher than us, right? Yes, uh, yes. And I'm happy they get to have those discussions on a routine base. This is the nice part about living in the Midwest. Yep. I don't really have to inspect operations like that because <laughs> we've got corn and soybeans over here. And oh, yeah. Gave market gardener. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, um, let's shift gears again a little bit. Let's talk about your podcast because the Intellectual Agrarian Podcast, you've had some really good episodes, really interesting guests. Um, some of the audience, I'm sure, hasn't heard about it, even though when I was on your podcast, I put a post up and, you know, the Around the Bend uh, article I put up, I'm, I'm trying to promote some other people, too, who are doing some cool stuff. So tell us about the podcast and, and where you're taking this in the future. First, let me say the Around the Bend article you published is fantastic because at least for me, I mean, it's so easy to get busy. I'm sure we all feel this way. We get busy with what we're doing and it's sometimes hard to keep up with what everyone is posting and everyone's doing, especially when, like you and me, we have a larger network of Mm -hmm. people that are also content creators. We're trying to get our own stuff done and sometimes trying to keep up with everyone else's falls on by the wayside and as much as i try to keep in touch with everyone's doing i really enjoy that it's like a headlines of this is what everyone in the network is doing so hats off i thought it was a great idea and i really enjoyed it oh thank you appreciate it that's what i was hoping for too uh as far as the podcast uh could you where do i see the podcast going i hope to increase just keep keep doing what i'm doing i don't Unlike a lot of shows, I don't try to publish an interview weekly. I I just don't have the energy to keep up with that. Admittedly, I probably could do it if I was willing to devote more time than I currently do. But because of all of my other things I'm doing, it's one of those things where I'm trying to maximize the use of me in these different areas, as I'm sure you do also. Yep. So for me, it's just easier to I schedule. I have two interviews a month. And then I do two monologues, mm-hmm. uh, different, just me talking with the audience or like reading the article, working for the harvest that I did before. There are, I hope to keep bringing on interesting and different guests. I mean, there's, there's so many different people that work in agriculture or in agriculture related fields, no pun intended, that have great stories. They're doing great things. Yep. Again, that that's the idea here. I want to talk with people that are doing things, not people that simply have ideas mm-hmm. or uh, theories on what they're going to do. I sat down and actually at one point tried to think through what is it that makes an intellectual great. And one of the things that I picked out was that it's someone who has an idea and applies it in an interesting way. It, it's not a matter of just thinking, but doing and doing something that's different, that's interesting, that maybe be the same thing everyone else is doing but they're putting their own unique spin on it because of who they are as a person their identity the skill sets that they have they're taking to this particular part of agriculture that they're working in i loved an interview i did with uh, garth brown hmm. from karen crest farm and he talked about cowbro science uh, <laughs> which is uh testing things that like they raise bamboo to try as a season extension for their cattle because cattle will graze bamboo and it holds up better in the cold than grass does. I mean, those are the kinds of unique, interesting ideas that I love hearing about. It wasn't necessarily a success as an idea. 
but it did show some promise. And what matters is that they tried something different. They tried something rather than simply going, well, we can't extend the season any longer. That's really cool. And that's one thing that I've enjoyed just in my little garden experiments, like my little laboratory in the side yard or the backyard. Um, it was really cool to for me to test out some wicking beds and just with dollar baskets, some plastic and some two by fours and a piece of plywood. Um, growing food on my driveway was kind of fun, <laughs> you know, yeah. just to just to try it, you know, and, and it's not certified anything, but it's maybe certify, certifiably insane. But I was able to grow the best cucumbers and peppers <laughs> I've ever done. And it's like, wow, there's something to this. I, I want to try this again. So that's what I'll be doing some more of that this year. But just to just to try it and bend the rules just a little bit just to see what happens. It's it's kind of fun. And um, you know, if it works, it works. If not, then we, we adjust and, and that's part of the fun. <laughs> so our friend, Michael Bell, he was curious, who is the most interesting person you've interviewed and why? Uh, you know, that's a really hard question. I know I'm putting you on the spot <laughs> and, and, and you, I'm, I'm sure that you would have the same difficulty answering that I, question yourself. I absolutely would. I mean, yeah. There's, I'm on my third season now. So even with just two yeah. interviews a month, I mean, there are a lot of great people I've interviewed. And I think that what the answer everyone's expecting me to say, and I perhaps should say, is Joel Salton. Uh-huh. Just because, I mean, he's Joel Salton, and he was so kind enough to be on my podcast yep. and get a chance to sit down and talk with me. It, it's just one of those things where I think one of the best parts about doing this podcast, and again, I'm, I'm sure for you also, and for a lot of people that do different podcasts, is that it really... If you're doing it right, I should say, if you are looking at things in the right way, you really learn to just appreciate the people that are important and not important, the people that we recognize as a name and the people we don't recognize as a name, that they are willing to take the time to sit down and spend like an hour, hour and a half talking with us. Yeah. Yeah. And it it would be almost an injustice for me to try to pick out like one person from all of the people I've been talking to. and so I know it's kind of a cop-out almost, but I really do think that with the occasional exception, every person I've had on the show has been remarkably interesting. They have brought a unique perspective to how they farm and how they approach agriculture. Uh, if I was to pick someone recent that I know was just a fascinating interview, uh, my last episode with Dr. Nation Winters. I interviewed Jared Gettle from Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds. Yeah, yeah. Charlotte Smith from uh, Three Count Marketing. I mean, really, it, even Noah Sanders from uh, Aurora Valley Farms. I mean, there are so... I, I cannot choose which is the most interesting. Yeah. I, again, I think it would be almost easier for me to choose who is the least interesting, but <laughs> that would be a disservice also because, again, right. they were kind enough to take the time to speak with me on the show. Yeah. Yeah. And I just have that level of gratitude for not only the people that I get a chance to talk with, but everyone who's kind enough to spend the time listening to the show. Because we, I can ask some of the weirdest questions possible that are so niche that fulfill my interests mm-hmm. occasionally. I try to ask some broad questions, but there are occasionally just these art questions I ask because I'm curious. Like uh, an interview with Ben Hartman I did from the Clay Bottom Farm, the book Lean Farm. I asked him if he applied the lean principles to writing his second book because that really interested me. Or when I interviewed Joel Salton, I asked him about uh, writing advice because here's my moment to ask a writer I really respect 
how to be a better writer. Right. And I hope that these are questions that other people find value in just like I do, but it's it's my occasional little indulgences, but I'm so thankful that the people that listen that that indulge me and mm-hmm. hopefully they learn something from it. Yeah, and you do your research beforehand. I mean, um, no one's asked me about my dad playing in the NFL or uh, my engineering background and and uh, bring that into the garden. You know, that, that I thought that those were very insightful and, and great questions that made me go, huh, yeah, let me talk about that a little bit. That's kind of fun. So um, hats off to you, man. It's it's uh, it is a great little podcast. It's a great podcast. Not little. It's it's a great podcast. I enjoy listening to it. So still a whippersnapper. <laughs> Aren't we all, though? <laughs> oh, God. And, and I would say this, too. When you have the opportunity to meet folks that's been on your podcast or you've been on their podcast, it it just kind of brings it all together because this is an intimate, it's very intimate, you know, radio and it's an intimate medium and putting a face there and sitting across the table with somebody like yourself when we got together or uh, Michael Jordan over in from Wyoming and Daniel Freeman and some of these folks, Greg Burns great people and and you get to shake their hand and say wow that was cool and and uh, uh to quote michael jordan wow that was cool and it's just so fun and um that just brings it to the whole new level it does because it really again we're building a community it's not voices shouting in the wilderness yes we it is a matter of community and i think one of the coolest things also is when you get to meet someone that listens to the show as you have oh, done yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it is really awesome that they're spending time and listening to us talk about things. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> so as moving forward, what's your vision? Just keep going on doing what you're doing. I mean, are you, do you have any other plans? What's, what's your vision? I just keep doing what I'm yeah. doing. I, I hope to have a few little experiments coming out cool. here, maybe in the next year, a couple improvements to the website, perhaps. But really what I'd like to do is just keep focusing on how can I maximize the amount of value I'm giving to the listeners. And I think that should always obviously be our goal Mm -hmm. is to do that. But really focusing on, and this is one of the things I've specifically been trying to do this last year, is I'm trying to focus on improving the analytics so I know where people are and kind of what their interests are. We did a survey this last year to kind of get an idea of who is listening and what they're listening for so we can try to bring more of that to the table. And I think, again, it's looking at the broader perspective of not just farming, but people that are are involved in agriculture adjacent fields or really where it comes from after agriculture, like with Dr. Nasha. We Mm -hmm. got the opportunity to talk about her book, The Metabolic Approach to Cancer, and just how people can be healthier in general. And it was a wonderful interview, but it's keeping that variety. In my interview with Joel Salton, we talked about having eclectic diversity. Hmm. And that, I think, is, again, one of those hallmarks of being an intellectual agrarian is that it isn't just onesies, twosies information here and there. It's having a broad breadth of understanding and knowledge. And really what I want to do is to bring those kinds of interviews where it's more than – where we're talking about your father – we're talking about your engineering background. I just interviewed a guy who has a journalism background mm. and to see how he brings that to his current work as a farmer. It's just it's interesting to see. And I think that I think that articulation is a fascinating thing, and I won't get too far into it, but seeing how these people present the ideas then and after they've tested them is fascinating. And I think we're gonna see a little bit more of that come up in the next year. Very cool. 
Very cool. So for my followers, where can we find you online? Where is the best spot to go? The best spot to go is intellectualagrarian.com. Really just search it. You can also, if you search intellectual agrarian, you'll find uh, I'm on Apple Podcasts, wherever podcasts are listened to. You can find me there, including Spotify. Also, if you're interested in hearing me talk about slightly non-agricultural related topics, uh, check me out on Medium, uh, Terrence Lehew. I just published an article on Stoicism and Christianity. Oh, wow. Again, I spent some time working on. So if you hate it, I will feel very bad, but I will understand. So give that a read. I'd appreciate it. No, I'll take a look at that. I think that's really good. And and I, I haven't posted much to meet or anything to medium, but, uh, you know, I, I appreciate what you're doing over there and I'll, uh, I'll check that out. I mean, I really enjoyed, um, the working for the harvest, um, uh, article and I'll check that one out. Absolutely. Very good. Um, if someone wanted to see, well, thank you so much. Yeah, if someone wanted to see those historic videos, or you talked about earlier about the history with agriculture, you do you have a YouTube channel out there with that on it? Yes, or? I do have a YouTube channel that occasionally has a few things on it. Okay. Uh, in fact, what I'm going to be trying to do, and this is like a, a special sneak peek for the rest of you guys, I guess, is I am going to be trying to post little clips like I do for Instagram okay. on YouTube prior to the release of the interview. Cool. So if you want a sneak peek of who's going to be on the show the next week, uh, check out our YouTube channel. Subscribe there. Very cool. I'll, I'll do that as well. Uh, no plans for Patreon or any of that kind of business? Just doing what you're doing? No, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Again, I look at my podcast as not necessarily marketing, but again, it is a, it's a wonderful thing for me to have the opportunity to talk with people and to speak with other people in my industry. So I don't necessarily need to use a Patreon, uh, maybe someday, but for the moment, we're just going to keep it as is and I'm excited to do it. And if someone wants to get your very cool intellectual agrarian mug, and I mean, I, I love mine. I thank you so much for, for the gift. That was so awesome. Um, can they order one? They can. I think that they're still listed on Facebook Marketplace. So okay. if you want to go take a look over there, if any of you are interested in drinking from the goblet of the intellectual librarians, <laughs> uh, such as Tom, myself, and a lot of other great show guests, uh, you can find it there. Yeah, thank you so much for sending that over. I We fight over it here at our house. Believe it or not, <laughs> it's it's awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank and you. and we've, uh, we've been like, man, we like this cup so much. We should... We should we should get a couple goblets with small scale life on it too. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> that would be awesome. Oh gosh, yeah. And and now with Julie on board and helping out a lot and being my co host, it's uh, a lot of stuff is getting done. We'll just leave it at that. So she's good. <laughs> we'll have to get you and I, we'll have to meet. You'll have to meet her. Absolutely, it would be wonderful. Very good. Well, thank you so much for your time. We I really appreciate it. I, I really enjoyed the conversation as usual. It's uh, it's so much fun. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be on your show. Absolutely. Well, good luck with everything you got coming up, uh, the show, and uh, also your uh, your relocation. So, good luck with that, and uh, we'll catch you very soon here on Small Scale Life. All right, wasn't that good? I really appreciate Terrence being on the Small Scale Life podcast. I just feel like I learn a ton after talking with him. He's one of those folks in your life 
that makes you feel so much smarter after you've had that conversation. He just dives into such interesting areas and he's such a well-read person. I, I really am fortunate to call him my friend. And I really appreciate him taking the time to be on the show. I really appreciate being on his show as well. And Terrence, if you ever want to come back on the podcast, you have an open door, my friend. Thanks again for your time and the mug, Terrence. Really appreciate it. So as we continue to build our small-scale life, I need to continue to live in the analog instead of in just the online space. Many of us content creators are churning and burning and spending so much time on social media platforms that we don't even own. We are entering an era of deplatforming, demonetizing, and censure. Uh, just look around you. You know, we, we, we see it every day. So why spend so much time there creating when we can build real relationships with people face-to-face? This is something I've been thinking a lot about recently, especially after our friend Kevin Geary lost his ability to post podcasts and articles for his Six Figure Grind website on Facebook. I mean, crazy. He just he could not post any articles. He couldn't post any links to podcasts. Nothing. He was dead in the water and had to totally rebrand. This is why Julie and I decided to make some changes to the platform, start building an email list, and start sending out email newsletters. Now, these newsletters, basically they'll be notes, is just another way to directly communicate with you, even when the people running social media are doing some strange things for strange reasons. I'm going to have our first edition coming out hopefully this weekend, so feel free to head over to the resources page, that all-important resources page, that's another way to support us, and sign up there. In the meantime, Julie and I have that all-important to-do list of projects, and we'll be starting that now that spring has sprung, the seedlings are growing, and all the snow is melted. There's a lot to do, including building the new wicking beds. And I was checking out some stuff at the uh, store just yesterday. Got really pumped up. This is going to be great. Can't wait to roll this out. So stay tuned for an update on the garden bed design and planting plans. Spring is here. There's not much time left before we are planting. So this is Tom from Small Scale Life reminding you to learn, do, grow, and be a little better every day. Check out the resources page. Join the newsletter. Take care, everybody.
Bada boom, bada bing! What's up, everybody? This is Tommy Cakes. I hope you're doing good. I'm doing good. I, I am enjoying this beautiful weather we're having. All this snow in Minnesota is gone. I'm very happy about that. I'm so happy about 65 degrees and no snow that I figured it's time. It's our time to do a little social. Here we go. One, two, three, social. delicious with the drinky drinks i enjoy it this was a great little podcast i really enjoyed it having some community having friends it's so important that i hope you all and do that go out and make some friends make sure you got some good friends that you can have some laughs and and have your back so make sure you get out there build your community because uh you know it's much better to have some friends to have a drinky drink with and have some socials with so this is Tommy cakes I hope you're doing good. I'm doing good. Time to get back to the lounge and uh, enjoy some time with my friends. And it's a beautiful day out today, so get outside and enjoy it. Tommy Cakes, we'll catch you next time.